She's April. And she's Molly. And we are the Book Besties. New season, new round of spoilers, King. Welcome to our pod. (laughs) It's a mess. Not to derail us. Three is a magic number. I love you. Shut up. I know how to read. And people are walking into flopping walls. I'm giving you this! This is for you! This is for you! Oh, you you heathen, Molly. That's okay, because it's just a video game. I'm a leaf on the wind! Besties! It's a new flapping year! New season! And a new friend! And a new friend! <laughs> Everyone say hi to Isaac Gordon. He is uh, the podcast host, runner of Master of None. Hey, everyone. Say hi, Isaac. Glad to be here. <laughs> hi, I'm not so, used to this um, video, but I love all of your hand motions. <laughs> I, I, that's a part of speech. It's, you know, I'm <laughs> Isaac sitting here going, so. what, do I, what do I do with them? What, what do I do with what, my hand? What do I do with them? What, what do I do with them? <laughs> so um, I've known Isaac for, whoo, I got sec. You and I got sector around the same time, right? 2009. Yeah, I got there. You got there. Seven? Yeah. I think you got there in nine, though, right, Molly? Um, No. Yeah, that sounds right. I got there. Well, I bounced between sector corpus and Houston there for a little bit. So, um, but I I was there from 07 to 10. Yeah, I met um, what I knew him as is Mr. Gordon. I met Isaac. Uh, when we were both in the military, he was um, an officer and I was enlisted. Now, I always forget, were you OCS or were you Academy? I was Academy. Okay. So um, that was actually one of the questions I had for the next episode. <laughs> She's like, okay, we're definitely circle back. Um, but that's how he and I met. Um, and over the years, we've become friends over the interwebs because of social media. And he kind of reached out to us and was like, hey, let's do a thing. And I said, let me get April. And here you guys are. And here we are. So let's And we've already this. established that April is like, sure, Molly, whatever you say. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I saw I, that you guys I, were I launching the podcast the and you had, you had posted about that. So that was kind of when I reached out. I was like, yeah. hey, that's. Awesome. I at that point I had been doing a podcast for I don't know, year and a half or so. A while. Um, yeah, because yeah, mm-hmm. I've I've been doing it for about two and a half years now. So yeah, thought it'd be fun to do And like it a, is wildly different podcast. than our podcast. Very different. <laughs> so different from our podcast. Um but I like your stuff. Um it's more of a Matt thing if I could get Matt to listen to the pods. Um <laughs> I listened with Tom a few times and I was just like, okay, so I don't really want to build a fish tank, but I, I can totally do that. Like a year ago, I came home from work and our front yard was dug up and I was like, what the crap happened to our front yard? He's like, oh, I decided to build a koi pond. I'm like, while I was at work, like, that I is a super that was, like exactly that the is kind of thing that I do on, on Master of None. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's not, exactly. it's not all exactly. fish, though. <laughs> There are like non fish right. episodes. What? Are you sure? Have you checked? I, I'm sure. Yeah, there are a few. Okay, but it's like it's like okay. a different for for your audience who's less familiar with what I do. Um, so it's usually a weekly release, and each week there's a different hands on project. Uh, 
podcast takes its okay. name from the saying master of none i'm sorry <laughs> jack of all trades is a master of none um master so the idea none. being right. like all all of these different hands-on projects so sometimes it's cooking or food stuff or farm and garden stuff mm-hmm. or survival skills or carpentry or fish tanks like you brought up or um what else hunting and fishing all, all sorts of different hands-on skills I mean, you talk you talked about building your house too on one of them, which I yeah. thought was really cool. Yep. Yeah, so these I, are I all built a house that, that I'm sitting in do. right now. Like, <laughs> and it's still That's upright, really cool. which is a, a really W cool. in my book. <laughs> I, I, these are all things that I don't do. I just want to stay in my house and read. And I don't want that house to be like, you know, made by my husband. <laughs> <laughs> Of people who know what they're doing. <laughs> you not to YouTube, say that you don't know right? what you're doing. Hey, when you yeah, actually saw so many uh, little things though that it's like yeah. okay, I have a you know maybe some skills that I already have like framing or finished carpentry or mm-hmm. laying wood floor or painting or you know electrical. Some of that was stuff that I already knew how to do, and then it's like okay, tile. Like I kind of have a lot of general construction knowledge, but it's like, I'm going to watch some YouTube videos to get some pointers on how to do tile for when mm-hmm. I tile the bathroom and the showers and the laundry room and stuff like that. So that's how Matt learned it. Right, yeah, I, I, but you know, I watched a YouTube video that a woman did that. She built her entire house from watching YouTube videos, which I thought was really kind of cool. She was a single mom and she like, just wanted to do the thing mm-hmm. for her kids and she like built a whole house and i'm like you know go for good for you no best friend yes good, good for best you. friend good for you <laughs> not, not for me. me um no matthew Biggs is the same way he learned how to yeah. layer flooring and yeah. like build yeah. shit like he does it all the time Molly, all the time. language stuff stuff first bleep of the okay. episode <laughs> So Besties, week- we're we're trying to be on our best behavior because Isaac's pod has a uh, a clean lyrics award on it Apple, does, which apparently. is freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> which we're never getting. No, <laughs> so. the fact that he's been recognized by Apple is pretty cool because Apple doesn't acknowledge we're live. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so should we like get to what we're talking about yeah. today? So you mean we didn't invite so Isaac on just to bullshit. Molly, <laughs> there's no helping her, Isaac. Just get prepared to bleep her. Um, um, so we are doing two episodes. So this is right. the first of the two, um, and next week will be the follow up episode, which Isaac will also be on. Um, and you can listen to both of these episodes on Book Besties Pod and on Master of None Pod. We are dual releasing. Um, and so today we're actually going to be talking about uh, Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. Um, and I'm going to host. And then next week we will talk about Starship Troopers. Said the right thing. By Robert A. Heinlein. Right. Is that how you say his last name? Okay. Yep. And Isaac is yep. going to host this you one. And. Um, we kind of picked these books because uh, they there's some crossover there, um, you know, classic sci-fi and kind bit. of a new take on sci-fi a wee bit. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's that's the plan. And uh, if you guys don't mind, I'll go ahead and do a synopsis, please. Are we good with that? 
And we also, there was a little bit of banter and a deal at the beginning that I told you guys that you could pick absolutely anything for me to read. I might have excluded Harry Potter, but other than that, I told you you could pick oh, you did absolutely exclude anything. Harry Potter. <laughs> it, it, and that I would agree to read it, and I, I would pick Potter the second anyway. one for you guys to read. Right. Oh, yeah. And I, I exclude Harry Potter anyway, because I read it, and I'm done with it. We did our two episodes, and I, I don't have to read it I promised her we wouldn't talk about it anymore, so we got to keep moving, or she's going to yell at me. That's what ended up being some, so, yeah, even though so, we both picked the, the two books separately, there ended up being some interesting mm-hmm. connections between the two of them that we didn't know about. I, yeah. So I'm sure we'll get into that yeah, and ready, as we go through them. Ready Player One was not new to me, but it was new to both of you, right? Neither of you had read um, it. I've started it and ended it because Will Wheaton says this is his W sounds with a WH, which is really weird. So that's a do not hate problem. on Will Wheaton. You know what? I don't hate Will you Wheaton. Know what? Okay, we're gonna get into this when we get into the episode. Can you do this? Fine. 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 Gosh. <laughs> you hey, can me. I shut up? We have. Can I make fun of you guys real quick? I'm already fine. Yeah. yeah, sure. And review a little. So now that now that you're like a whole season into your podcast, and every yeah. single episode you give the synopsis of the book, you do know that the word's not synopsis, right? It's synopsis. Synopsis. Did I you know like, that synopsis is a thing? Col- a synapse is the connect- connectors in your brain, but uh-huh. you can actually synapsis. say synapsis. Synapsis or synopsis because it has to do with the dialect. Uh, I, I will believe you. You can say synapsis if you are somebody that's from Don't argue somebody with that's the from character. the northeast <laughs> side of the country, like Molly. It doesn't make it who right. Likes the <laughs> but, who likes uh, to mess with April about it? A, a synapsis, I, 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 I if you actually it. look up synapsis yeah. on Merriam-Webster, it's the association of mm-hmm. homologous chromosomes that's characteristic mm-hmm. of the first meiotic prophase. So I, I'm going to stick with synopsis because when I look that one up, it talks about like a summary of a storyline. <laughs> but go yeah. go ahead. <laughs> I just had to poke well, a little fun. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine with me. I don't really care how we pronounce it. I pronounce it both ways. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Come on. Get it together. All right. All right. Let's do this. Wade Watts is a typical <laughs> Wade Watts is a typical gun typical gunter in 2044. He is obsessed with 80s pop culture, classic video games, and finding James Holiday's Easter egg hidden in the most famous game his most famous game, The Oasis. But five years into the hunt that started with Halliday's death, and not a single key has been located. Until Wade has a breakthrough in the game that is absolutely amazing for a level 10 warrior like him. While Wade use who uses the Pars of Parzival as for his avatar. Oh my goodness. April. While Wade's main goal, and he uses the uh, Avatar Parzival, is to be the first to find Halliday's game, Egg, winning complete control of Halliday's late, uh, late Halliday's company and fortune, he also wants to protect the Oasis from the evil empire IOI, from seizing control of the game and exploiting a loophole that would allow the organization to change the Oasis forever. There's lots of adventure, 80s references, and a love story for the digital age in this book. And I don't know why I couldn't get through that. Like, I know how to read. Like, I read all the time. And out loud job. all the time. I like, mean, you have a job. people pay me to read out loud. You'd think I would have my crap together. But here we are. Here we are. All right, so there you go. There's your synopsis. 
synapses, whatever. Doesn't matter. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. So let's get to the questions. All right. The book is flooded with 80s pop culture. We are all from the 80s. I was making the assumption that you were Isaac because you're probably our age. <laughs> Probably. Yes. Probably. <laughs> Maybe. Um, <laughs> There's a chance of it. <laughs> but we were all kids then. Did you understand all of the references? And was there one that really stood out to you? Absolutely. Every single Is one. Is that Actually, your answer to both questions? It's a loaded question because if I didn't understand one of the references, I wouldn't even know it was there to like not understand. Hmm. Anyway. Valid point. <laughs> This is going to be a um, fun episode. <laughs> so the so um, one thing I, that kind of threw me off at the I, beginning. Oh, no, go ahead, Molly. No, go ahead. No, you okay. go first. So, You're the guest. I'm not. You had mentioned to me that the book was loaded with 80s references. So I'm like, sweet, right? It'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Like good music, good, I don't know, whatever. Um, Movies, and then, TVs, all that jazz. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it, toward the beginning of the book, he really um, – some of the ways that he described stuff was like, and they were all wearing classic eighties clothing. And I'm like, wah, wah, mm-hmm. like lame way to like <laughs> have an eight, a retro eighties feel to the book is just telling me that they're wearing eighties clothing. But I think as the book went mm-hmm. on, the references or the yeah references and eighties stuff become, became a little more subtle and, mm-hmm. you know, just mentioning something that if you were alive in the eighties, you would remember instead of instead of having to tell you and maybe that's his way of bringing in people who weren't live excuse me who weren't around in the 80s to let them know okay there's going to be a lot of 80s themed stuff in this book so yeah i think i think he pulled it off really well but at the beginning i was kind of like really that's not a great way to do it so it was well it was it was um kind of like a simple push of getting you in the door, right? Yeah, yeah hey, exactly. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about that. Like it, none of this shit's going to stuff is going to make sense. If none of this is going to make sense, if you don't know any, what 80s clothes look like. Right. right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so for me, like I, I love the eighties. I love eighties music. Um, I love eighties pop culture, but like I was born in 81. Um, so I just turned 40 so all of our book bestie fans know that, but you know, master of none fans, welcome. I'm 40 now. Um, so in <laughs> 40s for your comfort. I was born in 82. So, um, so that's coming up next year for me. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm 83. We got, we got all three there years. Go. Yes, there we go. So because we were all born at the beginning in the decade, yes. like what I know of the eighties is more things that I've learned as I've gotten older or things that my parents like, that they li- music they listen to and yeah. movies that they watched. And so there were a lot of parts of this book that like I didn't understand because I did my family was not into 80s nerd culture. So like Star Wars, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I've seen every single Star Wars Star Wars movie in the theater. I'm not Thanks. old enough to have done that, but I went to like re-releases so I've seen all of them. Mm-hmm. So if Star Wars is mentioned, I'm I'm golden. Lord of the Rings is mentioned, I'm golden. Um, But when they start talking about um, some of the 80s movies and some of the 80s shows and then like D&D, like I know what D&D is now because my husband plays it. Those things are my jam. But like I wasn't into that because that wasn't what my family was into. So I think um, because I am not really tech, I mean, I was born in that decade, but I didn't really immerse myself in that decade the way that like james halliday would have because he was a teenager right um right so yeah and like some of the movies like, like i've seen me, a lot of oh sorry um i've seen a lot of the movies that come up okay. 
in the uh, in mm-hmm. the book, but a lot of them I didn't see like in the eighties because I was like way right. too young for it to be appropriate, right? Right. So I, I saw them later. Right. Uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. There's where I come in. Um, right. I was raised by teenagers in the eighties. Hmm. So um, MTV was my constant television. I saw Breakfast Club when it first came out. I remember seeing Fast Times at Regiment High on VHS. I remember going to Blockbuster. I remember doing all these things as Mm -hmm. young as four. Yeah. Like, that is, like, some of my first memories is, like, watching MTV and seeing Billy Idol on there and, you know, those kind of things. So it's nostalgic for me. I, I love... 80s movies and music i've always been a yeah. fan so mm-hmm. it was it was a nice nod to it but i mean yeah. they talk about firefly all the time we know how much i love that show <laughs> oh my god well, even as a kid like, the, the music the music aspect of it like you know you're riding right. in your car yeah. listening to music on the radio or you're just around hearing that yeah. music as opposed to like a movie yeah. that's a more adult movie that came out then or or like right. the I'm- the 80s pizza arcade stuff in there yeah like, yes. yeah like i remember my, oh, my first video game to... was was actually pac-man at one of the you remember how there used to be like the arcades mm-hmm. at like the front of the grocery store yeah sometimes yes. And, yes. Uh, yes yeah and they have like the little horses well, that you can was... ride out front and then you go into the arcade and they have yep. the little arcade games so like pac-man in one of those yep. is actually my first video game that i ever played I for me it t- was playing at a laundromat Yes, playing <laughs> playing uh, arcade games at a laundromat. P- Pizza Hut. I was going to say those are Pizza washing Hutt. machines, yeah. not table arcade games. games. Table so. games. Yes. <laughs> there was an arcade in there. <laughs> it just spins around. Um, I won. <laughs> I won every time. My grandmother, Grandma Irvina, bought us an Atari in 1995 at a yard sale. Yeah, and I learned to play on that before we got. The OG Nintendo. We got the Nintendo the first year it came out, but I want to say that that was early 90s. Yes. So, I mean, we're, you know, but like my mom, we had every video game system ever. And I'll be honest with you, I have no idea what she did with them after we got the newest (laughs) one. Like, I really, they're not in storage because I've gone through all of her things in storage. So, like, they're not there, but like, I really want to play classic Nintendo. She Um, probably sold it like my mom did. I'm sure that's what she did so she could buy the next one. But, uh, but like, some of the, like, the Pizza Hut reference, like, I remember going to Pizza Hut. And, like, I can remember the smell of going into Pizza Hut. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you're, like, playing on those, like, the, yep. the tabletop game. And, like, the tabletop game is greasy right. and the controller's and, yeah, greasy. The last yeah. kid that did it. And there's oh, yeah. something spilled on it. Well, my oh, yeah. mom actually, not this year for Christmas, not... 2021 for Christmas, but uh, 2020 for Christmas actually bought my boys a classic Pac-Man arcade tabletop. Cool. Um, nice. Yeah. So it is very cool. It has like eight different games, but it's classic Pac-Man and classic, like a whole bunch of other games from the Pac-Man company. I think it's Capcom or something. Yeah. Um. So like I got those references, but like for me, the biggest struggle was like James Halliday was, he didn't have a specific thing that he liked. Like he was like, you know, all the 80s things, but like the nerd culture wasn't like geek culture was it's a part of who I am now. Same. And it's a part of who I was as a teenager. Um, but it wasn't who I was in the 80s. So I didn't grow up with that the way that like right. James Halliday did. Right. Oh. I mean, right. I don't know when MTV was my best friend. So I kind of started early. <laughs> I watched Nickelodeon. 
Lots of we got Diz- Lots we, of Nickelodeon. Okay, I'm going to go on a tirade, and we need to go to the next <laughs> question because we're 20 minutes in. <laughs> so I will say all of the gaming stuff, and, and this book is pretty, like, gaming heavy. I am not now, mm-hmm, yeah. nor have I ever been a gamer. Um, we never yeah. had any game systems in our house or, like, you know, sometimes oh, really? going over to a friend's house I would play. But, like... So, you know, we weren't opposed to it. It wasn't like against the rules or something. I just never got into it. So I think probably a yeah. lot of the a lot of the video game references until he was doing something real basic like Pac Man were pretty much lost on me. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. But like, like you I were saying, like, there's so much other stuff too. Well, we'll come to this question a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I am a gamer. Sorry to derail you. I'm, I'm <laughs> a gamer. All right. <laughs> I'm not really like I wouldn't call myself a gamer. I'll play games occasionally, but like, when Halo came out, I used to do Halo tournaments. Oh no, back no, in the day, that's not for me. I've literally like, never played Halo in my life. It, I don't like first-person shooter games. They make me feel nauseous. So <laughs> why too much anxiety? <laughs> no, you would think that would be the reason, but like I get really dizzy in like oh, yeah. first-person games. So I just need Mario jumping over, you know, Yoshi mushrooms and that kind of stuff yeah all right so let's go on the next question all right this book takes place 22 years from now that's not that long no 22 years from now um and in 22 years do you think we'll have the technology to create an mmo like the oasis complete with schools quests and just about everything else you can dream of i don't think we're that close i mean they just got virtual reality glasses that are real and people are walking into flapping walls like Yeah, we are not we smart enough yet to handle something like the Oasis. It doesn't seem like the people in this book are very smart to handle this technology no. either. No. <laughs> Let's no. be honest. <laughs> right. Yeah. On the other hand, like 22 years ago, I mean, we're talking like late 90s. So the yes, change right. since then is right. pretty incredible. Like, like we barely even had yeah, the internet Yeah, I mean, I didn't even then. have a... I, that's like what I was going to say. I didn't even have a computer until I was in college. I got right. a laptop for a graduation present to go to college. I graduated high school in 2000. Um, and like the internet, you know, before that, like if I was playing on the internet at a friend's house, you know, you have the AOL dial up like that. Right. You know, you guys remember the noises, you know what I'm yeah. talking about? Oh yeah. Um, and so really, right. Exactly. <laughs> so like, that's like half my life ago. So right. We're going to be in our 60s when this book takes place. I don't know. I'm thinking. I don't know. I feel like it could be there. So I asked Tom this question, my husband, for those of you who are new to our podcast. My husband, Tom, is our um, editor. Editor extraordinaire. And and he, you know, he's awesome. Um, And uh, if you haven't listened to his short little recap episode. Go listen to it. It's freaking hilarious. It's so cute. It's hilarious. He's wonderful. All the things. of him to make. Um, so I asked him this question and he said, we already actually do have the technology to do this. And I was like, you think that the servers wouldn't crash? And he said that, um, games like, uh, dang it. Now I already forgot what game I'm talking about. Um, World of Warcraft, like they already have the capacity to do that. Mm -hmm. My contention with that is I don't think that it's not just a game. The Oasis is not just a game. Like it's, it's a a lifestyle. Yes, exactly. It's a complete lifestyle. Like people are literally working there. They -hmm. are going to school there. This is not what happens in MMOs like World of Warcraft. They are a game. And yes, people do play them obsessively. Did we describe to the audience like what the Oasis actually is? 
don't think we did. Okay. No. So do you want me to give us? We should probably should. At it? Okay. You, so yeah, go ahead and describe it for us. So basically, in the year, what what's the year that the book? Twenty forty four. Twenty forty four. There we go. So yeah, we're talking twenty twenty five years in the future from now, where where we're living now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's basically a virtual world that's been created by this corporation. And or more than mm-hmm. more than a virtual world, a whole virtual universe, and most yeah. people on the planet have these VR goggles and gloves that they put on, and they end up spending most of their right. time in this virtual universe. And right, um, right. apparently, the way that they describe it in the book, super realistic. You can almost like not tell the difference between reality and the virtual universe and then this universe has all of these different planets on it so they're like planets dedicated to education where it's nothing but schools so that kids can attend right. school yeah. online in this virtual world and then they're like mm-hmm. adventure planets like they have like those... the whole Star Wars universe right. recreated and the whole Star Trek universe recreated and Lord yeah. of the Rings Firefly. world uh, Middle Earth or whatever Firefly. recreated sure Molly's <laughs> saying Firefly <laughs> Like I'm just going to start saying spaceship, yeah. spaceship, <laughs> spaceship, spaceship. Um, I'm a lease on the wind. And recreational places, and people have meetings and do their business, and to the point where there's, where like basically everybody on the planet is plugged into this thing for most of their waking hours, and yes. and so much so that the Oasis credits are actually more valuable than the U.S. Right. dollar. And, and if like you go to school, like somewhat interchangeable school, too. Right. Yeah. And if you go to school or work on any of these planets, they're, the equipment's provided, so it's yeah. nicer right. than the stuff you buy in the stores. Right. You can get body suits. This actually leads me to my next question, Molly, so Fantastic. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, so James Halliday and Ogden Morrow, who is his biz- was his business partner at Gregarious Enterprises, mm-hmm. um, they give their game away for basically nothing. Um, they don't charge a monthly fee, and um, the consoles um, come for only a quarter. Like, that's all you have to pay to get a console. Um, And if you, like Molly said, if you attend school in the Oasis, you actually get uh, your haptic gloves, your visor, and your console for free. So is this altruism believable in today's tech world? Absolutely. Flipping not. I've caught myself there. Absolutely (laughs) not. (laughs) I edited myself. Absolutely not. Look at Elon Musk and freaking what's-his-face over at Amazon. They have enough money that they could change the homeless issue or hunger well, in the United States or pay their flipping taxes. And you know okay, what they do? But, they make themselves bloody rockets so they could go to space. Uh, side, uh, just, just, I have to correct you on that, Molly, because Elon Musk did not make a rocket so he could go to space. But he, he made did. rockets. He no, he didn't. He made rockets so we could go to space, so that the space program could continue with NASA. He's doing a lot of stuff for NASA, and the telescope that just launched on Christmas that went in one of his rockets as well. So you can't hate on Elon Musk. I'm sorry. He He's got a super brain like my cars. child. I gotta, he, I gotta plug on him. I'm sorry. Put, he put a car in space to promote it. He literally put a Tesla in All right. Car- All right. So he so he put a car in space to promote it. But it's not like he's not like it's not like he's not using his money for good too. It's not like he just went to space to say he went to space. Sure. 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 Let, let sure. me ask you another question though. But, um to kind of okay. answer your question with a question. <laughs> so in the book, yeah. they've created the they've created the Oasis, right? And mm-hmm, you know, right. given 
given the stuff away for free or whatever use is free and the the visor kit whatever only cost 25 cents mm-hmm. or whatever right and right. doing that has made them the richest most powerful people in the world so mm-hmm. if you do something that on the surface is generous but in reality it makes you the richest most powerful person in the world is that altruism it's clever Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't seem that generous anymore when you look at it like that, right? <laughs> I was not prepared Thank you, for, Isaac, for standing up for me. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, they were already they were already the richest people in the world when they right. made the Oasis. So right. that was part of the reason why they could give it away for so cheap. I just don't imagine that any tech corporation, even if they gave away the consoles and the visor and the haptic gloves, even if they gave those away for incredibly low price, even if they gave it away for a quarter, they're not going to not charge a monthly fee. Right. Like you can't, it's not sustainable. Like how would you sustain how would you the have servers, the, the electricity the, yeah. to continue running? Um, and yes, they had other programs. I mean, I guess what they were doing was they were selling the other things within the Oasis, right? Mm-hmm. So you could get right. upgrades to your equipment. And that's where they created their own universe, their own, their own goods and services that can be replicated just by copying computer code and then sold for basically real money that they, they created and made so valuable and so stable that it's just as good or better than, than real money. So. Right. And they literally have a, a a president and vice president that are elected within the Oasis. Yes. That are the governing body of the Oasis. Which will Mm -hmm. be in, in that. Right, it's very meta. Will Wheaton is <laughs> the narrator, president, and the narrator of the audiobook. So it's very meta. It's super meta. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I just don't see that happening. And I think you're right, Isaac. Like, I don't think, um, I don't really think it's altruism. Now, I, I don't know because Ogden Morrow was making, um, I cannot remember what the company was, but he had the learning, uh, the stuff. Yes, the, the learning the, stuff, the, the, the educational, the educational stuff. stuff with mm-hmm. his wife. And, with his wife, and they weren't charging for that either. Which the, um, which created the basis for the schools. The whole right. reason they have the schools was because right. of that stuff. And if you read the second book, which uh, honestly, listeners, I do not recommend. It's a complete letdown and disappointment. Trade but rep. if you read the second book, um, you learn more about Ogden Morrow because he's more of a central character in the second book. Mm-hmm. Um, I did actually anyway. read the second book, so um, I'm trying to not to remember not to bring stuff from the second book into... <laughs> into this discussion because I were you dis- can I ask were you disappointed in the sequel or did you like it or a um a little disappointed I, I liked <laughs> I liked certain without going too much into it I liked a lot of aspects of it um mm-hmm. overall a little disappointed um I think they spent way too much time on Prince <laughs> mm. the whole like yeah, Prince really battle scene was a little much but well, I, I don't actually have this question in the list of questions that I sent to all of you ahead of time, but I actually, I do want to insert this now because, um, because you, we've been talking about the second book and this isn't about the second book, Molly, so it's okay. But, um, my question is, uh, we, this book starts with, uh, what I described like a lot of hopelessness. Oh yeah, um, for sure. And mm-hmm. do you feel like that is more characteristic of, of our author, like really inserting himself in there? Or do you think that this is this is just who he, the character he developed. Hmm. I mean, our character is, I mean, he talks about, we destroyed the planet. Um, God it's is realistic not real. in my POV. Um, 
and everyone is screwed and we should just all basically give up. I, in my opinion, yeah. well, and like his realistic. only hope for success, like everyone on earth is, is plugged into the Oasis and like basically your only hope for any level of success or happiness in life is winning the lottery against like astronomical odds. I, I know it's a game, not a drawing, right, and, but like with 7 no, billion right, people though, on yeah. earth or whatever, like you have a one in 7 billion right. chance of being that person. And that's your only right. and source of hope. And what he wants to do with it is get himself off planet. Right. Right. right? Mm-hmm. He right. doesn't want to help save the world. He wants well, to leave it. And, well, and I, as the book, as the book evolves, he doesn't even want that anymore. Right. He plans to kill himself when he wins. Right. Like he plans to win. And climb up to the top of the tallest tower, give all the money to somebody who's a kid in need that grew up the way he did, and throw himself off of it. Right. Yeah. Right. Pretty hopeless when your um, your life plan is to win a video game and then kill yourself. So you could die and then kill yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Honestly, just made the book sound me, really dark. <laughs> I, I mean, it kind of is. Think about Not the right. world. <laughs> Um, for me, that's the hardest part of this book because we've talked about on our podcast, Isaac, several times that I am a Christian and like that is central to who I am. So reading a book where the main character is an atheist and so like um, solid in his beliefs and like this is all that there is, like you will die. It's fine if you kill yourself. Like that to me, that was the part of this book that was hard for me. Um, I, I just, I don't. I don't like reading things that are so hopeless, especially in what I consider to be a post-apocalyptic book, which is like my favorite genre is post-apocalyptic. I love the world has gone to crap. Everything's horrible. And somebody rises up and saves the day. And our main character, who's supposed to be our, our savior character, he doesn't even believe that there's even any reason to finish. Right. That feels realistic to me. Yeah. And that's that, realistic that actually kind of turned me off to the book early on in the book was his discussion of atheism. Yeah. Like, Oh, my life would have been so much mm-hmm. better if, you know, nobody would have lied to me about all this stuff and just told me that there right. was no God. And I'm like, wait, 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 this is supposed to be like a young adult book supposedly. Right. And we're making these statements as though they're fact of, of things that, mm-hmm. that I don't believe in. I'm a Christian as well. And like the author just being so bold in a message apparently to adolescents of the hopelessness of your mm-hmm. existence. And right. I was like, oh, that's kind of a, a turnoff on the book, like pretty early mm-hmm. on. Uh, I'm an agnostic. Yeah. Actually, could I? I actually think this is a really good place to me to, oh, you, you heathen Molly. I feel like this is a good place to bring up the question that you had, Isaac. That's exactly um, what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to ask it or do you, do you want me to read it for you? So I know I have it written here somewhere, but basically the question was what, what actually makes a book and they're kind of probably several different perspectives on this. There's going to be like the official librarian perspective, the actual you know textbook answer, but then maybe some more subtle things about what actually makes a book. Uh, we could even say children's literature versus young adult literature versus adult literature versus right. what was the other one that you told me about? New adult literature, new, grade, new adult. <laughs> which I guess is between young genre? adult and adult. So um, do you want to right. just lead off with the, and there's YA and right. Yeah, so, so the, for those of us who are for those of you who are new, I'm a librarian, so I'm gonna give you what the official librarian answer is. And um 
I don't consider this book to be YA. I consider this book to be adult. um, And it actually wasn't published as a YA book, um, mostly because of language, but also because Wade is almost 18 when the book starts. um, And also there's a lot of sex in it. Um, Not necessarily. There's not necessarily sex with a person, but there's a lot of sex in it. Um, And so I thought it would be. Yeah, so there so to me this would be adult, but now that we have the new genre, which is NA, new adult, um, that genre is for people who the characters are between the ages of 17 and like 25. Um, and so it's like youngish adults. So it's like people who are no longer in high school, college age, maybe having their first relationship, that kind of stuff. So this would fall under that category, even though that category didn't exist when it was written. Um, something is YA when the characters are younger. Our YA today is a lot more um, older leaning than what it was when I was first teaching English, which was in 2004. Um, and now we our middle grade, it, it has had a rise and it's more yeah. 16 and to 14 is more middle grade, even though middle grade is like 12 to 14. Mm-hmm. So, um, so a lot of YA is much more mature now. Right. And part of that has to do with just the publishing world. Right. And for, I was going to actually um, touch on that. Yeah. I, I was going to say that they're looking for commonalities. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to use Twilight as an example because we love Twilight. Well, Molly and I do. I don't know if you like it, Isaac, but Molly and I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and when you release something as sensational as Twilight, or you can even use Harry Potter for that example, People in the publishing world are looking for other books that fall under that genre, and then they're going to push it out to the same people. So even though it's older leaning, um, it has the same audience appeal. So they push it out that way. Um, And Molly's a writer, so she can talk more about that, um, too. So when I went to school, um, we had a couple different classes about the publishing world, intent, defining your genre, all that jazz, right? Um, The one thing I learned was you're going to start as a writer – Deciding your genre, right? Mm-hmm. The current, my current work in progress, I would say it's new adult to regular fiction, right? But if I turn this into a publisher and they see it in a different light, they will give the writer edits and they will change the genre based off of what they feel is public need, their need, and what they think will sell. Mm-hmm. So, I could turn it into a book that has cursing and sex and, you know, gratuitous violence, and they could give me back a pile of notes, and it could turn into a middle grade like that. Right. So um, it really well, depends on the trends of the time to make a book defined. Right. So when when did this publish? Um, I'll look up when it did. Um, the book right here depending me. on when this book was published, really defines what it is at that point and where it goes on the shelf. 2011. Yeah. So, so that was the peak of YA. That's okay. why it got designated as YA. Yeah. Even there though, wasn't NA at the time. No. And that's why it got the YA stature, even though it's Actually, definitely has adult undertones. This is the copy from the library. This is from the fiction section. It is not really? from YA. And I surprisingly. I've I'm seen a- it in YA at the library here. Well, I'm a middle school librarian, and I was shocked that we had this in the library where I am, I am too. a librarian, because it's not one I would have purchased for the collection, even right. though it's a very good book. Um, yeah, so per- personally, reader, I probably wouldn't recommend it. Have... Oh, go ahead. 
Oh, personally, sorry, I probably I wouldn't. Ask. I wouldn't recommend it for like middle schoolers for sure. Actually, when I when right. I bought the book, um, it said for ages six plus. And then I start reading. It, like, Whoa. <laughs> so I have to assume that was a typo, and it probably meant sixteen plus, which is probably uh, probably well, closer to the appropriate age for. What the book. would you designate it as? Now that you you've read it, it as a reader, what would you designate it as, Isaac? I, I would say not. Definitely not young adult. Um, um, maybe just honestly straight fiction, and also. For anybody who's thinking about reading the book, um, we mentioned that it has a lot of sex in it. Uh, it's not like graphic, though. It, it no, usually no, just like makes a statement like, that it happened, very... and usually, like most of it, right. is also happening like in this virtual world, which made me think, like, okay, in the virtual world. so we have these right. like whole virtual yeah. planets of like violence because they're a video Bubbles. game planet. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and and apparently that's okay because it's just a video game, right? So. Mm-hmm. And it like right, like you mentioned, there are these virtual brothels too, and like without getting too much into that, because I could really get us off the rails. I'm like, is there right. is there a difference between the way that we see the violence and that being like totally okay, and we kind of overlook it because they're just video game characters shooting each other versus the versus the sex in the book, even though it's just still happening in the same virtual environment. But for Di- me, I don't let my kids play violent video games. Mm-hmm. Like they are playing Mario. Like I have little kids. My kids are eight and five. So they're playing like Mario, which I guess he jumps on Goomba's head and maybe that's a little violent, but it's not shooter games. We don't own any shooter games. He also takes mushrooms. Uh, the most graphic. So. Yeah. He does. Um, <laughs> the most graphic game we have is Super Smash Brothers, mm-hmm. which is just Mario characters that like beat each other up. Right. So it's a fighting yeah. game. Um, but like for me, um, I don't think. I would, like, if the Oasis existed, if this was a real place, my kids would not be going to school there. They would not be spending all their time on it. It would 100% mm-hmm. not be a part of their, like, everyday life. It would life. not be an overarching part of their right. life. Um, um, I can't imagine that I wouldn't end up working there because for me to be a librarian virtually, that would be awesome. Like right, I could right. work from home. I did that the, it, during the pandemic. Our library was closed. I worked from home. I was doing story times virtually with kids. Mm-hmm. I loved that. It was amazing. Um, and so I could see like that being a part of my life. It would be a great opportunity for my husband, who's a disabled vet to like work from home. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would not, our kids would not be immersed in it because um, I wouldn't want them to go to the places that I wouldn't want them sure. to be. So yeah. jumping back to the violence that Isaac was talking about, mm-hmm. um, it does matter in the Oasis because zeroing out when you die means you go bankrupt. You are literally, yeah. mm-hmm. your pockets are empty. Life is over for you. You have no finances. So right. the violence does matter in the Oasis, unlike a regular video game, because right. it will change your life. Now about right. the kids. I, again, back to me being a heathen. Uh, Big's <laughs> girls are 11 and almost 13. Oh, that's gross. Um, anyways, uh, <laughs> I don't like it. Anyways, uh, I just taught Livy Halo, right? So they play Halo. They play Fortnite and what else? Oh, Minecraft. That's the big one for them. But they prefer the building mode, not like the scary creeper whatever thing mode. But Story mode. Story mode, yeah. They prefer... That over, like, where the zombies or whatever are getting them. I don't know. They talk about it for hours. It doesn't matter. Um, I'm more concerned about, like, 
Piper loves post-apocalyptic books. Hunger mm-hmm. Games. She loves yes. mythology-based books. Love it. Um, it. I feel like she reads more violent things in between a book than she does see in the video games. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know. I, violence is definitely I, a. I feel like you could pull yourself spectrum. away from it more if you're reading the book, though. Right. It's happening to someone right. else. Even if it's a first right. person book, right. it's happening but, to someone else. But, but when you're playing the video game, you are the person you. doing it. Yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't dig that. Well, but, I'm so sorry. To bring, can I to, seg- <laughs> to bring us back to the question. Yeah, I was gonna, is that where you're going? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. No, I was actually going to move on to another question, but if you have a, a, a something you want to say about that, that's fine. Oh, um, so you kind of talked about the the library definition of what young adult literature is, and I had some other mm-hmm. thoughts too, as far as like kind of general rules when it comes to classifying something as like children's, young adult, mm-hmm. older adult, adult literature, mm-hmm. or whatever. And a couple of those thoughts were: how clear is the author when they're being prescriptive versus descriptive? So, um, for example. Uh, Wade's Wade's statements about his atheist beliefs. I don't think that the author mm-hmm. here was clearly being descriptive, saying this is just what the character believes. It really came across as being mm-hmm. prescriptive, saying this is what you should believe. And you should believe, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. And I think um, the younger your intended audience is, the more clear you have mm-hmm. to be when you're saying when you're being prescriptive saying this is what you should do or what you should believe versus descriptive saying this is just what a character believes or just what a character did. And then the same thing when it comes Mm -hmm. to like the character's decisions and actions, the younger your audience is, I think the more you have a responsibility to, to be more clear that that, that decision was wrong, that decision was right, or that action was wrong, that action was right. And as your audience matures, they have more of a capacity to, to make those judgments for themselves. Does that make sense? I'm going to argue with you there. Well, I I mean, I feel like what you're saying is what I want the answer to be, but But I don't feel like that's the answer. No. And I was going to Um, argue that because the publishing world does not give a crap about that. They don't care about raising kids. They they care about making money. And also you as the grown up in that child's life, it is your job to, Mm-hmm. Pay attention to what they're reading. Pay attention to what they're viewing. All of that jazz. So yeah, totally. if you're concerned yeah. about viewpoints in a book, that is on you as a parent, not mm-hmm. the author. The author is writing what the author is going to write. But April and I love a book called Red, White, and Royal Blue. Oh, that book, so much. love that book. That book has opposing political views than April. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very and, much so. And <laughs> Completely against what I believe. <laughs> And it, it is very heavy handed when it comes to those political views, but mm-hmm. it doesn't take away from what she feels about the book or how she feels about it. But sure, her brain, right. her dome can process the difference. Right? But Molly, that book isn't a children's book. It's but new adults. I'm, so point we is, assume that adults can decipher those things. Right. So I but mean, my I point can... is, my point is if I'm handing a book to my kid and I think it has opposing views to my child, my life, I'm going to have a conversation with my kid about yeah. it. Yeah. Totally agree. The only 100%. thing is, yeah, go ahead. I want I want you to have those conversations. Not I'm not speaking to the two of you. I'm speaking to you in general. I want you to Besties. have those conversation with your kids. I want you to talk to your kids about books. And not and everybody does though. Why things don't align with your beliefs? But right. I do not want you to ban the book. 
Right. Like, oh my that god. That is not that is not you can choose for your kids. You can't choose for other kids. Yeah, Rule number one is being a book bestie. Uh, I think we're, Isaac, we're probably Isaac actually anti book banning. <laughs> I am anti book banning. Yes. Welcome to the book bestie family then. <laughs> we're probably actually kinda of saying the same thing where I, I would add to that where the way that I'm defining like young adult versus adult versus children's is is with that caveat that I'm not going to take the the publishing industry's word for it, and that as a parent, right. like you were saying, oh, absolutely. I, I need to define what's appropriate young adult literature, kind of based on my standards of of what that's going to teach mm-hmm. teach my kid. And if and if there's something right. difficult or controversial or whatever in that book, then I need to be taking responsibility for having those conversations with my kids. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that the reason it started six and up on Amazon, not sponsored, just to like (laughs) circle back to that real quick, um, (laughs) is probably because the vocabulary in this book is really not that difficult. No, it is a six year old. Like, basic. Probably not a six-year-old because I have a five-year-old who's rolling on six and that boy can't read yet. But, you know, it also could have been a typo. I don't ever go by what Amazon says. No. Um, because I trust they, them barely. They don't, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't about. even deliver to my house right. right. They deliver three doors down. Well, this is why we're not sponsored by them. <laughs> we don't, a lot of times they deliver my stuff <laughs> one door down. But out here, one door down is like half a mile away. <laughs> Nice. Yep, one door down is literally like five steps for me. Um, okay, so I'm going to move on to the next question if you guys are Please. okay with yeah. that. Yeah, go ahead. Um, all right, so I, um, so I don't think we're going to get through everything I had planned, but I'm totally fine with that because we are having an awesome conversation. But I do want to talk about this because I know Molly has opinions on it. So sure. I want to talk about... I want to talk about Artemis. Uh, that's her uh, username. Her avatar's name is Artemis, or Artie for short, and her name, real name is Samantha. Um, she's a fellow Gunter, uh, just like all the other characters in this book. Um, and she's actually arguably better than Wade. She's actually 100%. the first one to find where the first key is, even though she isn't the first to get it. Um, they fall in love in this story because, of course, they do. Um <laughs> That's Molly saying she hates that. Um, did you, hey, did you tell the listeners best- what a gunter is? A gunter is the, yes, I did. A, a gunter okay. is the person I, I that they're hunting that. for holiday's egg. Right. That's so okay. it's an, an egg hunter shortened to Egg hunter, gunter, gunter. right. Yeah. Um, so she's, uh, so is this nar- narrative necessary to a side? No! Or does it, or does the love story diminish Artie's role as a respectable gunter? It is ridiculous. Not every story needs a flapping, fracking love story. But I, want you, me, I want you to tell Period. me one that doesn't have it. Tell me a book that doesn't have it that you've enjoyed, Molly. Tell me. The Crucible. <laughs> that does, though. Fuck. <laughs> And I hate the Crucible, so you're wrong anyway. (laughs) You're wrong. You don't get to tell me what I like and don't like. Um, I'm your best friend. I do. (laughs) All right. It's all right. You want to go there? You want to go there? Best for you. (laughs) Look who's talking. Anyways, all I'm saying is it takes away from it. Her validity as being the better player is diminished Mm -hmm. by the fact that she has a relationship with Wade. She is connected to Wade. She is not. It's it's going back to freaking Harry Potter and when they omit that the schools are not multi-gender. Yes. 
Okay. Yes, because we the are only taking way a woman could be in the the goblet of fire is that she's, she's only one, she's at an only girl only, school. I'm just saying it, it's incredibly sexist. It's sexist, and it are we still talking about the crucible? Her role. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, anyways, what I'm saying. Welcome to our pod. It's a mess. It's a mess. I'm saying it's not necessary. Did I like it? I liked it. But is it necessary? Absolutely not. Would the stories okay. be good if they were besties? Absolutely. I'm so, just saying it's not but always we necessary. Do, we do have that relationship with a woman mm-hmm. who is his bestie. But he it's doesn't friend, know. Friend. She catfished him. It doesn't matter. She's also better. H, uh, we find out as the story goes on. But she H had to play is, as a man to be better. To, to again, it's a little. It. It, it's still sexist, it's but sketch. H is uh, Wade's best friend, um, and we don't actually know anything about H other than he is an amazing fighter, and H stands for whatever his first name is. We learn later in the book that H is actually a woman. Um, she's an African-American woman who is also a lesbian. And that's all important to the story because her mom signs her up on the Oasis as a man who is white. White. And then when she comes out to her mom, her mom has her own prejudices and like, no, you're you're out. You're gone. Um, so she's kind of on the run and does her own thing. But um, in the in the Oasis, Wade still refers to H as a, a man, as a him, because that is how he presents himself there. And outside the Oasis, H is a woman. Um, but we do have that perspective of here's a woman, um, even though we don't know it's a woman. I agree with you. I think it diminishes Artie's role, but I really love their story and it's super cute. And I also met my husband online, so that might be a little bit about... You might be a little biased. We met on like War of Warcraft, though. We like we we met on eHarmony. (laughs) Well, it's a dating website, but you don't like an actual dating website. (laughs) Okay, before her and I just argue back and forth, Isaac, how did you feel about this? Uh, I I think they could have left a lot of it out, and there were certain parts in the book when when it just like got a little distracting. I'm like, okay, move on with the story. I get it. Um, I think what the author was trying to do, though, you guys like each other. You've, right, exactly. You've kind of already hit on this with the, I think he was really going for the contrast, maybe the comparing contrast between Artie and H and Wade's relationship with each of them, because Wade's having this love relationship with Artemis, right? Whereas H is his best friend, right? right? H turns out to be to be a woman, even though he thought that H was a guy. And right. he's having this this love relationship with Artemis you know, in the virtual universe, right? And H brings up, well, mm-hmm. what if, you know, what if Artie's a guy? He's a dude. Right. Which is kind right. of funny that H is the one bringing that up, which I thought was a little bit of foreshadowing about about H not being yeah. right. it who totally was. he, she was portraying themselves to be on the, right. you know, on, in this virtual world. Right. So, so I think. Yeah, I mean I think that that contrast was an important part of the story and that dynamic, but yeah, too much too much time spent on teenage primary. romance. It, was, it did not need. Yeah, it did not need to be a primary focus. Right. Right. Yeah. It didn't need mm-hmm. to be. I, I liked it and I thought it actually helped push the story along. Um, and I I think it's. One I of can the give you I that. It did story, help but, push the story along. But I typically. So I am not usually a reader of romance novels in the traditional sense, but I love books that have romance in them. So for me, that was like, oh, it's post-apocalyptic. It's got all this action. It's got all this 80s pop culture. And there's a love story. Wonderful. 
Um, mm-hmm. It kind of lost me in the middle. There were like a few chapters, especially when he buys like the sex robot. Like there were yeah. a few chapters in there. I was like, okay, I get it. Right. Like he's lonely. Yeah. He is depressed. He has mm-hmm. locked himself in this room. Like I've had enough of this. At least this. he lost like, all that. What, I mean, he was like, no, I the lost one thing, all this The way. one thing that yeah. I did. Right. The one thing that I did really like about about the love story aspect of it is that was like the one thing in the mm-hmm. book that gave Wade a taste of the fact that there could be something good outside of the Oasis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because she existed there, but she also existed in the real world. Right. Right. And that's like what he really right. wanted was to actually meet her in the real world, actually get to know her and, and have actually something. have a real relationship right. in the real world. So, because other I mean, than that, the entire book, anything that happens outside the Oasis is bad. Right. Well, and he has nobody, right? His, I mean, he's right. never it, even met his best friend. I mean, his his right. parents are dead. Mm-hmm. His aunt treats him like trash. And then, then she dies. And then she's dead. And, and then the rest of, like, and the rest of the, his people are online and he doesn't know them. Right. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. Um. All right, I'm going to move on because we're running out of time. So I do want to yeah. try to get through a couple more questions because I know Isaac Please. has some questions too. Um, so uh, I want to talk a little bit about IOI. So they're the evil empire in this story. And the Sixers are essentially exploiting the spirit of the game. So the Sixers are a, a hired group of people who are holiday experts, gaming experts, all these different types of experts who have uh, hacked rigs, who basically the game doesn't have any rules. And so what they're doing is they're trying to win as a corporation so that they can take over the Oasis of Corporation. Nolan Sorrento is kind of the leader of this Mm -hmm. group. Um, He's not like the top of IOI, but he's high enough in that he's he's, he's high enough in. Um, And he's kind of he takes things really far. So he blows up Wade's house and he orders the murdering of Dioto, which is one of the, um, flipping uh, devastating. Yeah. The high five, um, uh, which are the top five gunters at the beginning of the book. Um, is this a believable storyline for greed to push a corporation this far to do horrible things? Yes. In a post-apocalyptic world. Absolutely. I mean, Wade even I would say even in our world now. How, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think so too. Um, it, I'm, I mean, I'm Wade sure. expresses how like insignificant real world politics are. Right? Mm-hmm. They have no power anymore. The president of the United States is like a figurehead. He doesn't even really matter. Will mm-hmm. Wheaton has more power than him. Right. Will flipping Wheaton. Right. What kind of world does, is it that Will Wheaton has more power than the president of the United States? I love Will Wheaton. Don't get me wrong. Don't get it twisted. But he probably doesn't want to be the president of the United States. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, what do you think, Isaac? Since I'm just rambling. <laughs> no, I think, I think that part is 100% believable and probably goes on in our real world now more than we would like to think. And, you know, people yeah. who are... Like extreme, I'm not talking about just people who are, I'm not talking about 1% wealth. I'm talking the absolute most rich and powerful people in the world are, I'm sure, to a certain extent, above the law and using their power to do terrible things. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. That's bleak, but I would agree. All right. So. 
We learn a lot about Halliday through this book, even though he is not alive to contribute to the story. We also learn a lot about his former business partner, Ogden Morrow. Do these two remind you guys of anybody in pop culture? I have a few answers for myself, but I'm wondering. I read your answers. I think they're good. Go Go for it. (laughs) Hit us. Um, So I would say Sheldon and Leonard from Big Bang Theory. Okay. Yep. That makes Um, a lot of sense. Sherlock and Watson, the BBC edition. Okay. And Jobs and Wozniak, but only really because of the gaming, the attack yeah, aspect, that's, that's, and that's the, falling, the one I falling was out, the falling the, out, and the they actually and... they actually reference Jobs and Wozniak in the book right. too. And um, um, the one that's still alive reminds me a lot of Woz. Yeah, and I think he's probably even named and and characterized at, over yeah. after him because like because he reminds name me is, a lot of him. His name is. Uh, uh, Ogden Morrow, and he goes by the great and powerful Og, and jo- and Wozniak that goes as Woz. Woz. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, yeah. Um, so then I have one more thing, and then I know Isaac has a few, um, but I wanted to talk about the movie. Isaac, you've seen it. Molly, have you seen it? I watched it last night. I have a lot oh, of feelings. Yay. So, um, Isaac, you <laughs> saw it before you had read the book. Um, I read no, the book. No, actually, I, I, I read the book first. <laughs> I hated the movie. <laughs> oh, you did. Oh, okay. So I I read yeah. the book and then saw the movie. Um, and I was incredibly disappointed in the movie because hundred percent twenty minutes in before mm-hmm. something happens from the book. But I really liked the movie. I don't I know like how to feel about that. I like the movie standalone. If I yeah. had read the book, I would have yeah. loved the movie. Mm-hmm. I would have yeah. loved the references. I love the like like we get Breakfast Club music, we get eighties music, we get the mm-hmm. games, we get all the things, and like. But now I, I have the book in my head, and it's mm-hmm. so much better in there. So why would I want this knockoff, right? right? I think I think the big difference for me was, and uh, I'm not sure we've talked about this much, basically the storyline of the book is Wade and the other Gunters are trying to solve this series of puzzles, and they like earn a key, and then mm-hmm. use the key to open the gate, and then there's right. another puzzle. So, so there's this, yeah. right, there's a series of basically like six puzzles that they have to solve, right? And... Um, I think the puzzles in the book were just better than the puzzles Way that they better. used in the movie because yeah. well, they didn't they, use the they, same ones. Like they, right. they kind of just well, made the up to their own. Start with, yeah. Right. The one that they start with the whole like car race car race is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. There's no way that in five years, somebody wouldn't get that. Come That's on. Bullshit, like. right. um, yeah. Okay. So the one thing that really bothered me is it also the wasn't a 1980s car racing game. Cat. Right. Okay. Um, I'm going to get spoilers for both the book and movie. New season, new round of spoilers, gang. Um, In the book, the whole point of it is winning together, right? Mm -hmm. The last Mm -hmm. key, you have to have three keys. Three is a magic number. Number. Right. Right. You have to have those three. That's working together. That was his whole point. That was the Mm -hmm. whole point of any of this is he wanted you to know that you needed others. He didn't want people to die alone. And that's the whole metaphor, right? Well, that's actually what Halliday realized at the end of his life was that he needed Ogden Morrow and Kira Morrow. He needed them. Right. And what happens in the movie? Absolutely none of that. Absolutely none of that. And and to face the purpose of the message of the movie. Mm -hmm. And I also don't like the way in the movie he gets the quarter. Um, so yeah. well, I like quarter, that. which ends I, up being like, I, he gets a quarter 
which ends up being like a, a, the an extra life. In the movie, he gets it from the curator, but in the book, he plays Pac-Man and has to play a perfect game and actually earns right. the quarter that way. Um, and he doesn't know it's an extra life until everybody dies except for him. And he's like, what the mother crap happened here? Right. He got an extra life. Uh, I thought that was clever in the way that they I did, did it where he just like the curator sent flicked it to him. I was but like, he won oh. a bet against the curator. And the, yes, curator, the curator in the in the movie is also Ogden Morrow. So they right, brought him which in. I like that. I they like did that, that because it was Simon Pegg playing him. They right. didn't I do it because it was made in Simon Pegg. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't? It's hard not to. <laughs> um all right, anyway, I think that you want to go through any sure, of your yeah. questions that you have. Yeah, and we've actually already talked about a couple of them. Let me uh, pull my notes out yeah. real quick. And then um, we'll, yeah, no problem. Oh, so I actually just came across this quote from uh, Orson Scott Card, who's like a classic sci-fi writer, uh-huh. right? And he said that the difference between uh-huh. sci-fi, or he said, if you see rivets, it's sci-fi. If you see trees, it's fantasy. Um and the question that I wrote down, which we don't necessarily have to answer, is, is this truly sci-fi? Um, and what is, maybe, what's your definition of sci-fi? Because, and maybe this happens more okay. in the second book, too, but there are all these, like, fantasy universes. Like, there's all of this Dungeons and Dragons stuff, which is, that's fantasy, not sci-fi. And there's, there's a lot of emphasis I, on fantasy book, stuff here. Or is it even important to distinguish between the two? Go ahead. I have to breathe. This I don't think it's either defined, one. <laughs> I think this book can be defined in three different mm-hmm. windows. It can be post-apocalyptic, it can be sci-fi, and it can be fantasy. I think with the mm-hmm. video game aspect, it is more fantasy. Because yes. the video living in a video game is like a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Living in a virtual right. reality realm is fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. Then the you pull... Up- Sorry. The other genre it could be is alternate reality because it supposes that in 22 years we will have the tech have had the technology since the time that we are now. Basically, I can't remember when he made the Oasis, but um, I mean, I could do a quick Google of it. But basically, the tech in the Oasis already exists at this point um, that Mm -hmm. we are living. So it's alternate reality, too. I don't think it's sci fi. I had a very long discussion with Tom about this because he was like, absolutely, this is sci fi. Oasis was created in 2012. Okay, so there you go. This this rea- this reality that we're in, so it's an alternate reality book too. To me, it's dystopian um, because that's dystopian, post-apocalyptic. That's my genre of choice anyway. So that's where I would put it. But I do think this is one that we've used this term before, Molly. It's genre fluid. Yes. Um, it goes think, between a bunch of different genres. I think this is the start of a new genre. Hmm. Part, so because, part of the reason that I asked because, is because... Because um, kids are that. getting into... Sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, part of the reason I the asked reason- is because I was thinking about it, and I, I really couldn't nail down any good reason to call it sci-fi because all of the sci-fi stuff that happens in the book is happening inside of a video game. It's it's not mm-hmm. like actually yes. happening, like you know, in Star Wars and Star Trek and all the Robert Heinlein stuff right. and all the Orson Scott Card stuff. Right. That the science fictiony right. stuff is actually happening here. It's just part of in a video over- game. Alternate- for me, uh, it's not sci-fi if it doesn't happen in space. Like, right. if there's not some element of it happening in space, right. I, and virtual space does not count. For me, that's how I define sci-fi. If it happens in space, it's sci-fi. Okay, so I think, like I was saying, I think this is the start of a new genre. We are seeing more and more books based off video games. Featuring mm-hmm. video games being the primary focus, books that are like The Witcher, 
It was a book before it was a video game, but now people are reading the books because of the video games. You were having this crossover. I didn't even know it was a video game. I just thought it was a Netflix series. Yeah, and it was a book too. So it was book, video game, now Netflix series. But then you have Minecraft, where now there is a plethora of middle grade books that are Minecraft reading. Mm -hmm. You have books that are based off of Link in uh, Legend of Zelda. You have Mario books. You, I, you, we are going to see a whole new genre in the next 20 years. And it's going to be called something like 8-byte or gigabyte or some stupid shit crap like that. That is... Video game related. It's gonna just be it's gonna be its own thing. And I just think we're not there yet. I don't think it. it's new though, because I feel like that has existed in middle grade and in, in um Jufic for a long right. time. Right. Right. It's just doesn't have a name. Mm-hmm. I think we're just waiting for someone that's like more important than me to give it a name. Yeah. I don't know. I, what do you call it, Isaac? Do you think it's sci fi? Uh, I, I definitely wouldn't call it sci-fi because, like I was saying, all the sci-fi stuff that happens is just inside of this video game. It'd be like it'd be like writing a book about yeah. somebody. Well, I don't know. I can't think of a good analogy right now. But yeah, there's there's no like real somebody, what, sci-fi stuff now. Uh, Ernest Klein did write another book that I I also read just just to like get a feel for the author called Armada, which is I don't know. If, have you read that one? Um, that one is no. solidly sci-fi. And it, it has some similar yeah. aspects to it, but one of the things that I liked about that one, not to derail us, was the um, the amount of hope in the world, in the universe that he creates, huh. and a lot more hope in that book as opposed to even though it doesn't, it really doesn't show it right away. In the end, there is hope, and that one ends up being like true sci-fi with like actual like spaceships and stuff. Um, yeah, that's why I haven't read that one. As much as I love seeing sci-fi movies, mm-hmm. I'm not a sci-fi book fan. Like, I really don't read sci-fi. Um, I need to visualize it. I need somebody. To I, I really don't either, which is kind of funny that I'm doing these two books for our for our podcast episode because I really don't read sci-fi. That's funny. That's my husband's like genre of choice. Yeah. Um, but Ernest Klein, our author, uh, just a side note, he was ra- born and raised in the town next to where I grew up hmm. in Ashland, Ohio. And Mansfield, Ohio is like right here. We're like beside each other. And Ashland, Ohio is like more Amish country than Mansfield is. But now he lives in Austin, which seems about right. Yeah. Nobody stays in Ohio. <laughs> nobody nobody so what, that lives in Austin's from Austin. <laughs> One of the other things that I wrote down that kind of struck me, and I don't know, maybe there's not a good way to put this into a question form, but I think okay. I think one of the one of the aspects of the appeal of this book is you think think about high school, right? And they're like your your classic like mm-hmm. groups of kids in high school. There's the jocks oh, and the yeah, nerds and right. Right. Um and I think that one thing that this book did is, which made it appealing, especially to a certain group, is taking a group that often feels outcast and making them mm-hmm. like making them yeah. cool, right? The they're they're the cool the ones. Eye. They're the heroes right. of of this story, even right. though like, the gamers are ruling yeah, the world. Exactly, exactly. Like right. And, and yeah, you. I mean, and. And everybody's characterized that way too, because Wade's a little bit overweight, and Artie right. has a a, a, um, a wine stain uh, birthmark, which yep. is on your mm-hmm. face. Um, and H is uh, a lesbian black woman, which yep. could be an outcast in so many realms. Right. Um, yeah, so I, I, I and 
Ogden Morrow and James Halliday were the outcasts themselves when well, they were I mean, kids. He was autistic, right? They yeah. don't say that, uh, but he was 100%. They insinuated he he's Absolutely. on spectrum, though. I, I, I would say he reminds me a lot of what James will be. <laughs> it, it, it definitely gave me, um, like, it read Asperger's to me. Oh, yeah. I think that, he, I don't think they actually, I think they mentioned that, like, he was never diagnosed, but like probably, and that's part of the reason why he reminds me of Sheldon mm-hmm. as well. Um, I'm not crazy. My mother had me tested. Um, yeah. But like, I, I think he was probably Asperger's. Yeah. Um, and at the time they were still labeling Asperger's. So that would have been his label, but, um, or his diagnosis, but no, he doesn't actually have one. So before but we wrap. Absolutely was. So before we wrap up, I have one complaint. Mm. Um. Mm. Every time this author goes into a new location, mm-hmm. he takes several pages, minutes, if you're listening to the audiobook, filling out a world. Mm-hmm. We do not need the description of every fracking chair in a room. He wasted so much space doing that. Molly! So much space! Molly! You are not allowed to say that and be a fan of Harry Potter. I am sorry, but J.K. Rowling is the worst <laughs> at writing a world, and you love it, so you are not. I, ooh, I'm different. giving you this. This it's is different. for you. It's different. It's not the same. I love you. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Isaac, well, any final uh, thoughts? Any final thoughts, Isaac? Uh, final thoughts. Yes, two things. Um, First of all, along those same lines of taking that outcast group and making them the heroes of the story, totally the same thing with mm-hmm. Twilight of taking taking basically goth culture, like some people who might feel on the outside, yeah. outcast, whatever, making them the heroes of the story. Um, bring it on. Taking cheerleaders, suddenly for some reason making them cool. Um, anyway, la- last thought. Um, I was a cheerleader. You better watch where you step there. <laughs> <laughs> So, Which is um, no surprise this, to anyone, by the way. <laughs> so we have this whole dystopian world, right? Where, like like he says, life sucks for everybody, right? But they're spending all right. of their time in this virtual world where there's, there's zero personal accountability, really. Um, right. Do you think that part of the state of, and I don't know if this was intentional by the author, if you want to talk about if this was his intent or just something that you could read into the book. Do you think that part of the state of the world that he presents is actually due to the lack of accountability in most people's quote reality? That's interesting. Um, I don't, I don't know if it was intentional, but it's a good point. I mean, I think he was looking around at what our world was in 2011 when he was writing it. And supposedly it was a crap could show. happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think you could be onto something there. I do there, there are some authors I that I opinion. that I don't think are smart enough in their writing <laughs> to make that point. You're going to say J.K. Rowling, just move <laughs> on. I, I don't but think he was not. intentional with that, but it was something that I got from it. it was like, oh, I think I think that the way that people are living is actually perpetuating this this terrible existence. I think that's the point of of some of these books is you're yeah. getting you're supposed to be reading. What you read and the intent you read with mm-hmm. is how you interpret it, right? Mm-hmm. When we go into books, sometimes our slate is clean and we just read it as is. Some of us go in with it already having something in mind. It's how you interpret what's on that page. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, well, Molly, any final thoughts or I'm going to wrap us up if that's okay. Um, I don't have a count, but I feel like that author tried to get every single 80 reference possible in. Um, um, yeah. From war games to mentioning Breakfast Club, I feel like he mentioned every single video game. Yeah. From here to, uh, from 80 to 89. He definitely did his research because he's like, also our age. So he didn't grow up in right. this time either. Like he's, he's also our age. So he did his research. I need to see that binder. Um. Um, all right. So Isaac, thank you for joining us for our yes. first of two episodes with you. Thank you. Next this week was a lot we are of fun. covering this book. Yeah. Starship oh, Troopers. Oh, yay. Oh, wait. Was I supposed to say it? Starship Troopers. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, Starship Troopers. So you can see it on the video. Isaac will be <laughs> Isaac will be hosting next week, Quasi so hosting. it's just his show. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna do my monologue and just have you two like sitting there watching me. <laughs> just nodding and, and, and besties, uh, and and all of Isaac's fans too. If you want to keep listening, at the end of the month we're covering this book. They both die at the end. Isaac will not be a part of that one. It'll just be back to being me and Molly. I mean, you um, can come sit but, and hang out, but we're talking. But uh, another <laughs> dystopian type book. So I guess that's our theme for the month of January. I don't know. But thank you for joining us for our first episode of season two. Yes, season two. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Book Besties with special guest Isaac Gordon of Master of None. Don't forget to like and subscribe. The views discussed here are those of Molly, April, and Isaac, not those of anyone else. Today's book was Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. Your Book Besties are April Watkins and Molly Biggs, editing by Thomas Watkins, and music is Sleep Sweetly by Pritchetta. Don't forget to follow Book Besties on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. If you'd like to contact the Book Besties, please email us at bookbestiespod at gmail.com.